Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Lifestyle Hero Podcast by me, Adel Marcy. And of course, we are sponsored as always by uh, Purely Hosting. Go ahead and get your website sorted there at purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel. They do a free website as well as with your hosting. Um, The more you buy, basically, the longer your hosting, the less it will cost you. And hey, they set everything up for you. It's pretty good. Security is pretty good on all sides. And the support team is one of the best I've worked with. Also, we're sponsored by... uh, thefunnelspecialist.com for this episode and hey who'd you know who'd you guess we have on board today the funnel specialist himself ryan is it levesque or levesque because i've been told this one or the other <laughs> it's uh, i will I, i'll go with i will i will answer to either call the s is silent some french guy 500 years ago made this decision that we're going to throw an s in that name and make it silent so it's actually levesque Oh man, seriously. Is, this just reminds me of, um, just to, before we get into it, just reminds me of like Cat Williams when he, uh, like the comedian Cat Williams, he's always on about silent letters. Like, right, what right. is the purpose of a silent letter? It's like, it's like, what's your name? Bob. How do you spell it? B K O B. No, your name's Bacab. <laughs> just, I just love it. It's just like, um, just make stuff up as an adult, you know, put silent letters here and there. Um, oh man, it's it's so you know it's funny that you bring it up. There's a little bit of a marketing lesson in this because for the longest time I struggled with should I use my name as a marketer? Should I adopt a pen name? Should I? Levesque basically means bishop in English. It means vicar um, in in French, which translates roughly to bishop. I thought about using the moniker Ryan Bishop. This is like eight years ago when I was first marketing. Well, it turns out there's another Ryan Bishop marketer out there. So I thought, well, Ryan Levesque, I've got to be the only guy out there because it's a relatively obscure name. It's kind of like your name. There aren't a whole lot of uh, people with your name. Turns out there's another Ryan Levesque internet marketer out there, um, and people confuse us uh, uh, from time to time. So um, just goes to show you that the world is uh, it's a big place, but it's a small place as well. Um, listen, man, I'm really pumped to be here, and I'm really excited to be talking. Likewise, man, likewise. Just a quick little background for the people who don't know who Ryan is. Ryan is probably... Let's see, I've been trying to get this guy on a podcast for nearly a year now, and it's only just happened. So to give you an idea, this guy knows his stuff. He's like one of the truest badasses out there. I follow his stuff quite often. Though I'm not on his mailing list, there is a reason for that. That's because like, whenever I sign up for a mailing list, I really uh, I split my time about like three or four people. I'm just working all the time. But the stuff I do go read is his blog. <laughs> I just go check it out. I go watch, like, watch his Facebook and stuff. The guy is insane. Like... I know I'm crazy when how much money I've done for my clients and what I've done, but this guy just, I, he's one of the guys that I look up to, so that should tell you exactly how highly of the thing I think of the guy, especially when I class myself as probably one of the best copywriters out there today. So, guys, go ahead and check him out. He's absolutely brilliant. But, Ryan, um, again, super pumped and pleasure to have you on here, but just to go back onto the names thing here, Funnily enough, if you actually, and I'm probably going to get a bunch of, of people go ahead and do this now, thank you people in advance. But if you actually go to Skype and just type in my name, like Adel Marcy, I'm the only one that comes up. Really? Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> it is, and it is, and it isn't a good thing. That's why it's like I'm just glad I'm not screwing people over, and I've never screwed people over because I was that, if I was that kind of guy with a super rare name, people would just find me all the time. It's like Adel Marcy England. Holy crap! There he is. I know his address. I'm like damn. Now, but the the problem I have is the double-edged sword, which is if I want privacy, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just chilled out. I don't want to give out my Skype details um, to just any old Joe Schmo. People will just find me if they just search my name. It's like, damn. Yeah, I need- let, let me ask you a question about your name because I think this is interesting. Um, it's a marketing topic that we were having a conversation about in my mastermind group, my Facebook mastermind group the other day. It was about adopting pen names and, and the and the perceptions that people have when they see your name. Now, if I didn't know you and I saw your name, uh, copywriter is the last thing that would come to mind, and I'll tell you why. When I think copywriter, I think someone that has command over the English language, and I'm looking for someone that has a, for lack of a better term, like a British ancestry name, right? Mm-hmm. Bill, Bill Bradley. Okay, Bill Bradley, English is his first language. If I just saw your name as a marketer, my first question would be, like, you know, is English your, your first language? When you were getting started, did that objection ever come up? Did that ever issue ever come up? Or were you just able to nip that in the bud? I nip that in the bud because I would never take on a client without them first speaking to me uh, on the phone or at right. least watching a video of mine because um, 
though I actually, I, I'm very, very lucky because um, when I was 17, I sat down um, and I started speak uh, speech therapy because mm. I had a really, because I grew up in uh, the hood, so to say. Mm-hmm. So I had a really uh, street young thug accent going on. Like my voice did not sound like this at all. And I used to be a battle rapper before I actually did this. I know it sounds really <laughs> weird. I used to actually be a battle rapper. Um, and what ended up happening was I was like, okay, no one's going to take me serious in business with this kind of voice. So I need to sit down with a speech therapist and I need to get this worked out. So they basically taught me to enunciate my words, pronounce words properly. And they're like, you already sound British slash American as it is. You right. just need to go ahead and enunciate your words so you sound more, a little bit more proper. So I just basically did that, and that's something not a lot of people know about. But I took the time to actually go through that. So whenever I spoke to someone, I that was the initial thing. So when I did direct sales, um, door-to-door telesales, the guy that was my team leader actually said to me, he goes, people on the phone, because they can't see your face, if you say your name's Adol, they're going to straight away go, either I don't trust that guy or this guy doesn't understand what I need. You know, completely different country doesn't get me. Right, right. Um, no, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so adopt a pen name. So the pen name that um, I always used was the it was uh, my the name that my aunt calls me, which is either Sebastian or um, a name that's quite re- relatively related to me, and that's Adam. So just be like, hi, it's Adam on the phone. They're like, oh, okay, cool, blah blah. But they'll never see my face. So they'd always think that you know I'm just some random like tw- an eighteen year old uh, guy that's from England. You know, there's British and stuff. So it's just, it always worked out to me in, in some senses. But I, I totally see that. It can be a hindrance, which is why um, I'm writing a fiction book right now. So it's funny we're talking about pen names. I'm actually using a pen name for that. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's obviously, that's super common and for all sorts of reasons. But that's, um, you know, that's, that's really cool. It's a thought that went through my head for a long time. My, uh, my main domain, the .com, was taken by the, the other Ryan Levesque. So I have every other iteration of my name, the .net, .me, uh, the Ryan Levesque, uh, R. Levesque. I mean, every you know, permutation that you can imagine, but it's, it's a name that's always been mispronounced ever since I was a kid. Uh, it's a real pain in the ass when I'm doing interviews. You know, RyanLevesque.net, how do you spell that? L-A-V-E-K? No, not quite. There's an S, there's a Q, there's a U in there. So it's always been this kind of hindrance. And I even thought about that. There are some people actually, when they came to America from uh, France, that they changed their name to that phonetic spelling to, uh, you know, the whole Ellis Island thing where people come and they change their name to like L-A-V-E-C-K, which is really how it's pronounced. Um, So it's just interesting. Um, The thing for me that was, I don't want to call it um, an, an, an arrival moment, but it was at Titans of Direct Response, which we, I recently came back from, and we, you and I were just chatting about. And uh, I was, uh, the type of clients that I work with, I had about a dozen of my 25 private high-level clients that I work with that just happened to be there at Titans. Um, so there were a lot of people who knew who I was, but there were also far more people who didn't know who I was. But what was interesting is it was one of the first times where people started mentioning me, strangers on stage as people who had followed me or had studied my stuff. And uh, the, virtually everybody got my name right, which I thought was, which was like one of these like, you know, kind of made me smile moments because I've been doing this full time for uh, eight years. And uh, I can't remember a time where, um, you know, with the exception of people who knew me personally, people actually got the name right. You know, you're, you know, Ryan Levesque, how do you spell that? <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, and I guess that's, that's one of the benefits of having a uh, unique name is that uh, if someone does get it right, like if someone gets your name right, you know that they either A, have studied your stuff, they followed you, or they know you personally. Yeah. And it's like this instant sign of respect. If you're, again, if you're Bill Bradley, you know, it, it's impossible to mispronounce that name. So um, anyways, interesting tangent, uh, not what we plan on talking about today, but I, oh, I think it's good. really, it's, it's, uh, it, it all goes back to language and language is so important, whether that's the, the writer of a piece of copy or within the copy itself. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And dude, tangents are like basically what most of these podcasts get into anyway. Like, I had a phone call with Marshall Wayne, you, you know, the branding guy? Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ma- Marshall's a really good friend, so um, we were talking, and we ended up on, like, a 20-minute tangent talking about how he's sitting in the, like, when you break up with someone, you end up going through, like, a power marathon of, like, really crappy TV shows, and you end up sitting in the shower, curled up in the corner with a bowl of, like, with 
some popcorn. That was a 20-minute bit in the middle of an interview. So, yeah, it gets random on there. But, you know, it is. Just go with it. And that's pretty cool because you did bring up a very important lesson there. And for the people that may have missed it, it's basically if you're going into a market, study your market and know what they're looking for. And if there is any shortcomings, namely, with like, say, your name uh, or the pronunciation of your name, consider right. having a pen name if it's going to be that much of a big issue. Because, like, the right. whole, like, me going into the world of being a novelist, I have no problem changing my name there. The name's David Black. Um, it's kind of hilarious because of what my main character's called. So I might change it at a later date, but I might leave it as is. Um, the main character's called Riley Hunter Gray. So gray, black, haha, a little bit in the middle. Right. Um, but no, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that, that's cool. That's really cool. That's exactly what I, when you were talking about using a pen name, I was thinking about how people will use uh, references to other um, uh, works of literature. Mm -hmm. They'll reference maybe a minor character in a work of literature that's inspirational to the literature that they write. And uh, unless you're really well read or you're a fan of that original piece of literature, you're not going to pick up on it. But it's kind of like a little Easter egg for people who are, um, you know, really deep into that, uh, into the subject matter. Um, yeah. No, it's, it really is interesting because, I mean, it's, 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 it's one of these things that there are these, I think, in marketing, and we're just kind of talking about some cool stuff. This isn't really plan it's all spontaneous but I think in marketing there's certain indicators that people use to evaluate you on a an unconscious level so this isn't like this explicit checklist that someone goes through to evaluate like are you legit yes or no are you someone that I should pay attention to yes or no sometimes there are these subtle cues that we can't necessarily uh, articulate or point, a, you know, put our finger on as to why it is that we either like somebody or don't like somebody. But sometimes it can be as something as simple as the name of the person. Sometimes it could be because it is reminiscent of a name of someone from your childhood that you really despised or didn't like. Maybe a bully or a teacher that you really hated. Maybe it's not the same name, but it's similar enough that it evokes those memories in this sort of murky way. Mm -hmm. Another example would be, for example, so I have a French name, and if you remember back in uh, right after 9-11, um, there was a lot of uh, um, uh, torn relationship between America, uh, America and France. And especially for hardcore conservatives, um, what are now the, um, you know, the Tea Party from a political standpoint in the United States, mm -hmm. the sort of curmudgeonly old, conservative, angry white men, uh, there's a little bit of hatred towards French culture. You know, there's the whole movement. I mean, it was like a media frenzy about changing the name of French fries to Freedom Fries. And so yeah. if I was in a market like that, looking at my name, there would be people who'd be turned off. And I, I'm, I'm an American citizen. I was born in America. My, my, my heritage is, it goes back to France and, and through French Canada. And my grandparents are, uh, uh, they're all passed away, but they're all French-Canadian. They all spoke French. French was my first language growing up. But I'm an American. You, you listen to me speak, I don't have any accent at all. It doesn't matter. The name alone can convey, uh, you know, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, things that, uh, you know, can have an impact on your marketing, have a real impact on your bottom line. Oh, I totally so. agree. And it's kind of funny that you should mention this because this is something that um, I find without, like, sandbagging uh, any other marketers out there so I apologize if it comes off that way but it really isn't it's all down to language like I have this hatred and it is a true hatred of the word learn in headlines I, I find it the most very remedial thing in the world and that is like because uh, well I'm guessing uh, some people kind of know why but let me ask you do you know like the psychology behind the reason why you shouldn't use learn as a headline well, I mean, just a copy word in general. Learn is one of these words that it implies work. It's reminiscent of school. Most people didn't enjoy school growing up. We don't like to learn. We like to discover things. We like to find out things. The act of discovery is exciting. The act of learning is a chore. So I don't know if that's where you're going with it or yeah. if you had something in mind, but that's the that's, first thing that comes to mind. That's actually literally it. And a lot of people have been using it, especially all over the marketers. But it's like little words like that. And it's kind of strange that when you're writing even blog posts, just regular blog posts. I, I've found that um, being a copywriter for as long as I have, and goddamn, I've just realized how long it's been, um, you figure it out. And it's almost, it becomes so ingrained in your day-to-day -day life that it's crazy. Like, I was having a conversation with uh, VJ, nonetheless, I was having a conversation with him just before Titans, and he said something. I was like, no, what you're going to do is when you get to Titans, you're going to discover this, that, the other. And he goes, 
you do realize you just spoke in copy terms, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh crap, I did. So ingrained, I don't know. <laughs> we, have, we have this running joke with a few friends of mine that uh, I send a VSL to my wife on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I actually might have to do that at some point. I might, I might take you up on that. That will be a good little geeky way to get, let her know that I care. No. In this video, you know, this video warning, this video may be controversial. In this video, you're about to discover the reason why, slightly unusual reason why, you and I decided to get together. And it has to do with something that happened a few years ago. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, I actually, I, that, is, that is smart. I do like that. That's pretty cool. So, okay. so copy has applications outside of marketing and how to make money. You can use copy to win friends, influence people, uh, 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 win over girlfriends, and make your wives happy. So. Oh, yeah. I think, what was it, Gary Halbert said this best? There's, uh, there was no problem on us that a good sales that can't solve. Oh, totally. Yeah, and it's crazy how true that is. Like, it's like, I'm broke. I have no money. Write a sales letter. Send it out there. It will make you money if you, you know, because you, you're hungry. You'll make some I'll money. You, I'll give you a perfect example of this. This just uh, reminds me of a really great marketing story. And I don't remember the specifics of it. Hopefully someone listening to this, maybe you know the specifics of it. So just I apologize if I'm getting some of the details of this wrong. It's, um, there was a gentleman who needed a heart transplant. And he was in a situation where he was like number 10,000 on the list of heart transplants. And he happens to be a really savvy, smart marketer. And he wasn't going to get the heart transplant. He was, he was not going to live long enough to reach his point on the list. So that's exactly what he did. Is he wrote a sales letter. And he mailed the sales letter out to the chief administrators of all the top hospitals in the country, um, basically appealing to why he deserved to be uh, moved to the front of the list. He got his heart transplant. Wow. I mean, if there's if there's if there's a you know if there's a situation that you wouldn't think a sales letter could solve, it would be literally saving your life, literally overcoming the system. I mean, there's the system is there for a reason. There's a list for a reason. The list is the list. Yeah. But to be able to bypass that list with a really well-written, emotionally riveting sales letter just speaks volumes to what I consider to be the most valuable skill that anybody can develop and invest their time. I mean, the way I look at I've invested my 10,000, just like you have, Adel, you and I have invested our 10,000 hours in the skill of copywriting. And I've every, with every passing year, I recognize that as one of the uh, smartest, savviest decisions I've made in my career. Um, it's an evergreen skill. It'll never go out of style. It doesn't matter if you're writing for um, you know, Google Medium, Facebook, MySpace, whatever the next Facebook is going to be, whatever the next Facebook is going to be 10 years from now, mobile, desktop, print, radio, television, video, it does not matter. As long as human beings communicate through words, that you'll never go hungry as an A, as an A quality copywriter. Oh, definitely. Um, one of my personal favorite stories is the one Carlton shared as well. Um, and he has it right at the front of his freelance guide. For the people who haven't checked that out, I heavily recommend you check out Carlton's stuff because the guy's just a genius when it comes to teaching and writing generally. Um, what was the story? It was like two guys, imagine this, two people wash up on um, a shore of an unknown country. Like they've just had like, I don't know, some shipwreck and one of them washes up with a hundred grand in a suitcase and the other one washes up with just his ability to write sales pieces. The one that wrote the sales pieces would um, have that hundred grand by the end of the year, right? And the guy that didn't have it would probably squander it because he has no right. idea what to do with it. And um, it's so it's strange, but it's true. It's one of the things I've told nearly every single person that asks me, "What's the one thing that you tell me to do in business?" I'm like, "Just learn how to write advertising." What do you mean, learn how to write copy? Because it's such a universal skill. I mean, to give you guys an example, you can do this in dating. Like if you're a single guy right now or a single gal listening right now, you can probably sell yourself really well through a sales letter. I mean, Halbert did it, right? I think he got a wife that way. That's exactly. He put out a personal ad. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you bring up Halbert a couple of times because he was, and I, I, I wish I had, I wish I was 10 years older or I wish I entered into our industry 10 years earlier because I got, I got involved in direct marketing 
from a corporate background. So my background, it's very bizarre. I studied neuroscience in college. I studied at the and studied and taught at the Ivy League level uh, at Brown University. And I went to investment. Then I worked on Wall Street for the investment bank Goldman Sachs. Then I worked in China for about five years. I also studied Chinese in, in college and did some graduate studies in uh, Chinese language. And then from there, I feel like it's like 10 lifetimes ago now, uh, stumbled on the world of direct response. And Gary Halbert was the first copywriter that I truly studied. For me, I came from, unlike, you know, you and I were talking, I think, I don't know if it was, uh, I guess it was before we went on, on the air here, about your background and, and um, you know, where you came from. Well, my background is I grew up totally blue collar. I'm the first person in my family ever to go to college, uh, probably the most successful person in my hometown in history. Um, and I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just saying that to give you the context of the kind of the, where I came from. Yet, despite all that, going through school, going, you know, getting an Ivy League education, you're taught to write and speak a certain way. Yeah. You're taught to use these $15 words. It's ingrained in you. You have to impress people by using these big, fancy words. Fecundity, cerulean, uh, acerbic, words like that. Those are not words that you can use in copy. So I actually had to unlearn the way I was taught to write and the way I was taught to speak. And Gary Halbert was the single biggest influence that I had that ha that, uh, you know, to impact me because he taught me how to go back to that folksy, me to you style of writing copy. And he and I probably like yourself, uh, uh, the way I learned his, you know, his model, his, his uh, mode of communication is I studied his letters, I read his letters, and I actually have composi composition notebooks full of his actual letters transcribed by hand as he advocates, uh, and you know, my recommendation to anyone who's relatively new to copy and you know, saying, is it worth putting in the time to do something like that? My answer would be, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You put in the reps. When you put in the reps, before you know how to learn how to write copy yourself, you have to internalize what good copy feels like, what it sounds like. And coming from a neuroscience perspective, what's interesting is that there's a different connection that goes on in your brain your finger, your forefinger, your pointer finger, and your thumb are connected to the language centers of your brain in a way that does not exist when you're just typing out words on a keyboard. It's profound. It allows you to create these deeper uh, neuro connections, neural connections in your brain tied to those language patterns. It's reached a point for me personally where the way I speak even on this interview right now has been impacted by studying that copy through the rote uh, repetition of writing out that control, well-performing copy by hand. And most people say, too much work, don't want to do it. Um, but I say you can't afford not to do it if you want to become a master at this craft. Oh, I agree. I think that's, that's actually how I landed my first um, internship. I mean, uh, some people that know my story know that I actually started writing when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Wow. Um, yeah, almost by accident. Um, so it was like really, really strange how that all happened. But I got my first in internship with a guy named Alex Goad. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I don't Al know Alex personally, but I know, I know who he is. Yeah, Alex, uh, he and I met when I was 19 um, at an event. Like His first speaking event ever was in the UK. And uh, I met him there. And then three months later, he spoke again at the same event. And at that time, I was an attendee. I got asked to do like the crew work for it. And it just so happened they wanted me to do the green room stuff, so I'd bring all the speakers their food, all this, that, the other, you know. And um, Alex and I connected, and Alex, uh, like three months later, he, was, he and I were talking, and um, at that point I started doing door-to-door -door sales to like mm. work on my craftsmanship as a, as a writer, because mm. um, copywriting at the time for me wasn't paying the bills, so I was like, right, I've got to get a job, what job's going to benefit me? Well, Halbert said he did door-to-door -door sales, so let's go do door-to-door -door sales for a bit. So I went to do that. But while I was there, I spoke to him, and he said, well, I want you to write out 10 Gary Halbert letters by hand and mail it mm. to me. Now, for the people that are attempting to write a Gary Halbert letter, never, ever, ever, and I mean this in the most nicest way, say that you'll write 10 Gary Halbert letters by hand in 30 days. Oh, it'll Be kill you. It gave me carpal tunnel in my right yeah. hand. I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I hadn't written so much since I was like, remember whatever age we are when we learn penmanship and you're learning yeah. your cursive letters like when you're eight years old or however i don't think i had written as much by hand 
as those days when I was copying out the stuff by Longer. I mean, I remember starting out with his coat of arms letter, and that's like a short piece. You know, the coat of arms letter is like up two paragraphs long. Um, yeah. I remember that alone taking me like over an hour to copy it out because you, you know, everything on that letter, and this is something that um, I know Kevin and Bond, Gary's two sons, have put out a, a recording on it recently, um, analyzing that letter in detail. Um, that letter, even though it's just one page, two paragraphs, every single character on that letter is premeditated. There's a reason for it. Yeah. The, everything down to the return address was not left to chance. The zip code was not left to chance. It was artfully selected. There's a reason for literally every single character on that letter. And that just stresses the fact that the shorter the letter, the shorter the piece that you're writing, the more you have to put under the microscope every tiny little uh, element of it. If you're writing a 45-page uh, you know, long-form sales letter, you can afford for page 23 to be your A-minus work. But if you're writing a one-page ad like that, every single character, every single word needs to be A+. Yeah. And so that was one of the first big takeaways that I – uh, took away from from Gary's stuff was the amount of uh, effort, energy, and thought that went into something like that. And I remind myself whenever I'm doing something, especially short form, like for example, when I'm doing a, a landing page video in my survey funnel formula process, which is just like a two, two and a half minute long video, I agonize over those two and a half minutes of copy because they're so important. Every single word, every single pause, every single uh, uh, you know phrasing selection Again, it's premeditated. The reason, there's a reason to it. Um, and I think that's what, uh, you know, being obsessed like that um, is what makes uh, great cop copywriters great. And people like me, I consider myself still an aspiring great copywriter, um, despite the, you know, the success I've been fortunate enough to have. It's an ongoing process. As soon as you, you know, as soon as you become satisfied, then, um, you know, it's, it's game over. Um, it really is. And, and, you know, it's funny. There's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, Adel. It's called uh, Euro Dreams of Sushi. You familiar no, with it? No, I've not seen that. I'll have oh, to. you have to watch this. You'll love this. So basic premise, uh, Euro Dreams of Sushi, and Euro, going back to names here, is, is spelled J-I-R-O. Okay. Basically, Euro is recognized as the best sushi chef in the world. Yet his restaurant is like a three-table basement restaurant in the, uh, I think it's the Tokyo subway. And he's almost 90 years old or in his 80s now. And basically, it's a documentary over his obsession over his craft. The fact that his sons, uh, especially I think his older son, who's in his, I believe, in his 50s now, is still an apprentice working underneath him. Wow. He's been an apprentice for almost 40 years working underneath his father. And his father still doesn't feel like he's ready to take on that master role. And it just and he's a, it's a three-star Michelin restaurant despite the fact that it's, you know, it's in a subway. It books up something like 2 years in advance. The cost of a meal there for one person is in the hundreds of dollars per person and it's this rinky-dink little restaurant in the subway in the um, the metro. Uh, and I believe it's in Tokyo and I apologize if I'm again getting some of these details wrong. I don't can't remember if it's in Tokyo or maybe it's in, in, in another city. I believe it's Tokyo. Wow. Um, point is, um, so I assigned this documentary to one of the guys on my team to instill in him what I'm trying to do in my company with my clients and the goals that I'm aspiring to. I mean, the, the values, the number one value in my company is excellence. Mm -hmm. Excellence. Because when you put excellence forward in everything that you do, whether that's client interaction, whether that's the quality of the work that you put out, as long as it's excellence, you're never going to go wrong. Yeah. You're always going to do right by people. You're always going to put people's interests first because when you put excellence first, then everything else takes care of itself. And that's something that I've always lived by is putting out the most excellent product that you can, whatever product, I put that word in air quotes, whatever product might be, whether that's copy, whether that's uh, the um, client servicing, customer service, um, whatever it may be, excellence. Mm. Um, and that's what that documentary is all about. Achieving mastery and achieving excellence. I totally, I could not agree more with you. That is one of the key components. And I see that especially with most of the work that you do. It is 
literally excellence. You can feel it. You can see it. It's just a what. It's a masterstroke, really, what it is. And I love the way that you actually said it. I don't know if anyone missed it. If, if you did miss it, something Ryan did say was um, that he sees himself as an aspiring. He still sees himself as an aspiring, successful copywriter. I mean, you're you are quite successful by um, a lot of standards. But you've also kind of like what you've done there is you've kind of said, I'm still learning. That you is have to be. Exactly. Yeah. Once was... you feel like you arrived, it's like it's game over. You know, Gary Halbert, oh, excuse me, Gary Halbert, Gary Bensavanga um, was the one copywriter that Gary Halbert would defer to saying privately. There, I still, Gary Halbert would say, I, I think I'm the best copywriter in the world. I really do. But if there's one copywriter that I would never want to go against, head-to-head, -head, it would be Gary Bensavanga. Because Gary Bensavanga treated himself as the toughest competition. So he would compete against himself to, again, achieve more excellence, greater excellence on whatever piece that he would write. So he would write a piece, and he was notorious for beating that be being the guy who beats the control. He didn't want someone else to beat his control. He wanted to be the one that beat his control. And again, it comes down to excellence. And this was Gary Bensavanga when he was in his prime. And I know, I'm going to just say this number. It was, uh, it, this, I don't have uh, a documented proof that this number is true. But uh, there was a time when Gary Bensavanga, uh, my sources tell me, uh, he, was, he was making he was, his royalty checks that he was making on his direct mail control packages were $400,000 a month. Wow. Royalty checks. And this is, so this is a man who's at the top of the industry, top of the game. And that's how we approach things. And if you look at anybody who's achieved mastery or excellence in any craft, whether that's writing copy, whether that's, at, uh, uh, whether that's an athletic endeavor like basketball, you look at someone like Kobe Bryant. Why is he, uh, less so now than a few years ago, but why was he for, at his peak for about maybe five to eight years, the, the number one, the best basketball player in the world? Because he was the most tenacious. He was the first one to show up on the court. He was the, the, the last one to leave. And even to this day, he still, sort of on the, the tail end of his career, still approaches the game the same way. And I think no matter what it is that you do, whether that's writing copy, whether that's building sales funnels, which is my chosen uh, uh, sort of direction to, of application of copy, whatever it may be, I mean, I have a ton of respect for people who approach whatever it is that they do um, in that way. And so um, I know this is yet another tangent, and I'm kind of uh, ranting now about this, but it's, it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I Good. like working with people who take that same approach, who approach whatever their craft is with that sense of mastery and that sense of uh, excellence. Oh, I agree again. Like these little things that just like little reminders for everyone that's listening, in, including myself. I mean, I just love doing them. I mean, one of the things I, it's funny you should mention that because uh, I like to listen to old interviews that I've done with other people, like where they're interviewing me. Mm -hmm. So I can just see, because sometimes I've noticed, I noticed this first uh, year and a half ago um, that when I did my old interviews, there were certain things I would advise. And then as I've got older, I would either change the advice or advanced on it or revolution, uh, revolutionize it, just make it even better. And to go on, a, uh, there's a tangent point here, but I'll go into that in a moment. One of the uh, things that I, that I got asked, um, and it was a confidence thing for me initially, and now it isn't so much. I used to, and it can come off as ego, but back then I used to say there's one reason why the most, the best copywriter in the world will never beat me. And they said, why? And I said, well, simply enough, most copywriters I know kind of stop learning after a while. They stop picking up sales. They stop picking up sales courses. They stop doing things. They just stick to what works. They don't look at what's next. And that's the reason I'll always win. And it's funny because I've kept that mindset for a really long time, but the... Um, it's like I'm never going to say I've arrived because, again, the moment you state that you've arrived, well, it's all downhill from there. Right. Because, because life is not a stationary thing. The moment you arrive, well, the only way there is down. So keep... I think, yeah, and I think, I think it's important to recognize achievement. Um, there's a, an exercise that I learned, um, not that I'm a, a participant of this program yet, although I'm considering. Um, I think it's a strategic coach thing. Um, a Dan Sullivan thing, where you actually physically stand up, you stand up, and you're looking forward, 
and you're looking at what are your plans for the next year and just physically stand up and look forward and just imagine yourself walking that path of achieving those plans. Now, at the same time, pause, literally as you're standing up, physically do this, turn around, look behind you, and look at the path that you just walked and everything that you've achieved. I think it's important to celebrate those wins because it's this whole concept of the horizon. The horizon's always going to be the horizon, right? It's always going to be, if you try to reach the horizon, you're never going to reach it. It's always going to be untenable, untouchable. Um, But so which is why it's important to, to celebrate those wins, accept them, because that's what life is really all about, at least in my perspective. It's, it's really just, uh, you know, it's, it's this journey. Um, you know, every great story, everything that really rivets uh, us as human beings is always a journey. It's the hero's journey. It's the reason, and I know you, you know this, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, the hero's journey is the model that basically every successful um, uh, epic tale told both uh, in books and in movies follows this paradigm, this hero's journey. And if you look at it, every single one, there's from uh, a Disney movie like Frozen, for example, which my two-and-a-half-year-old son is obsessed with, uh, <laughs> to movies that you know, I grew up with as a kid, the, the Star Wars trilogy, um, the original trilogy, they cool. all follow the same path. There's always movement, right? There, there's you know, traveling to, to, uh, to, to a distant land, traveling uh, to achieve something. It's the journey. And I think, um, you know, so, you know, it's important to enjoy that journey and recognize these little stops along the way. But listen, I totally agree with you, man. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, the moment you, uh, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a Mark Cuban quote that I always keep in the back of my head. And it's, I'm going to butcher it, but a par- I'm going to paraphrase it. And it's, um, you know, uh, you have to remind yourself that, uh, you know, when you're working, that there's somebody else who's working 24 hours a day to take it all away from you. Yeah. And that's true. You know, the moment that you get fat, dumb, and happy, there's a young up-and-comer, and, and um, we, you don't know who that person is yet because they're just not on the radar, but there's someone out there. You know, there's someone listening to this podcast right now that's listening to this, and they're saying, yep, that's me. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was the young up-and-comer, a nobody that nobody knew who I was at all, and I was hungry and I had a voracious appetite for learning and improving. And some of those, you know, I was, for example, I'm business partners with uh, Andre Chaperone in a business that we, uh, in a mastermind that we run together. And we have the mastermind in, in uh, just a few days here in Austin. It's a $10,000 a person mastermind. It's very expensive. People spend a lot of money to spend a weekend with us and, and two of our business partners. Well, how did I meet Andre? As a lowly little customer who bought his autoresponder madness uh, email marketing course you know years ago um, I was a nobody I was just like everybody else who you know followed and admired Andre now we're business partners one of my first mentors in um, internet marketing was a gentleman by the name of uh, Glenn Livingston Dr. Glenn Livingston mm-hmm. uh, he was one of the most impactful people in my career one of the first people that I followed well that relationship originally I was a customer then I became a private coaching client of his then he invited me. He basically said, Ryan, you know my methodology better than even I know it. How would you like to coach people, uh, be the person who coaches people through my system? I did that. Then he and I became business partners, and now we're you know, some of the closest friends. Perry Marshall was someone that I followed from afar in 2006, 2007. Perry Marshall's a client of mine. So you know, these things happen rather quickly. The velocity of this happens rather quickly. And for anyone listening to this, I'm hoping that this is inspirational that if you put, your, you put the reps in, you do the work, and you put excellence first, who knows? There's prob- there could be someone on this call that maybe is going to be a, a, part, a business partner of yours, a deal, or a business, partners of, a business partner of mine at some point down the road, and we just don't know it yet. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really exciting world that we live in. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is what it is, and that's like, like the craziest thing ever. That's actually how I keep getting um, intern officeships, and would you want to come work with us and do this, that, the other? Simply because you put the time in. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit because um, I caught it with you. It's Adil because everyone seems to always call me Adil. It's really, really weird because there, there is a guy online called Adil Chowdhury. Do you know him? No, I don't. Yeah, Adil Chowdhury is another marketer. He's actually a little bit older than I am. And um, his name is spelled A-D-E-E-L. I'm like, damn. <laughs> okay. So I've got it because um, Adil's just a shortened version of my actual full name. So I was like... Better get Ryan, uh, tell Ryan that because it's happened before. Not not with you, but like with other people. It's like 
Hey, yeah, they're like, Adil, right? It's uh, Amish Shah. You, you know Amish, right? Yeah, yeah. Amish refuses to call me Adil because he's like, I'm just so <laughs> stuck with calling you Adil. I was like, that's fine. I'll just call you Amish. And he's like, that's a deal then. <laughs> I, I, I got I to get it straight because uh, you and I spend a lot more time communicating on Facebook and in writing. So <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you, uh, you know, it's like you're a novelist now, so you can appreciate this. But it's like when you read a really good novel and the writer has these really great names for the characters, but you're not really quite sure how to pronounce those names. So like you kind of, you, you come up with the pronunciation in your head yeah. and then you like hear someone say it either in an interview or maybe the movie, the book is uh, made into a movie and you're like, whoa, wait, wait, that's not how you say his name. <laughs> oh, dude, you just reminded me. Um, do you remember, the, you know, the Harry Potter series? Like, yeah, the, yeah. Hermione, I used to call her Hermione. That was like the name that we were given at school. I was like, her name's Hermione. I was like, oh, that's cool. I watched the movies, Hermione. I was like, yeah, that ain't right. It took me a yeah, good exactly. year. Yeah, man, they made this really big mistake when they made the movie. They mispronounced her name. I can't believe they let that slip. <laughs> and then you hear the author pronounce it. You're like, the author doesn't know anything. You're like, wait a second, she wrote the books. I think she knows something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just crazy exactly. fun times. But okay, there is a question I did want to ask you. How sure. old are you? Because like the the stuff that you were listing off earlier, I was like, I thought he was only like thirty years old or something. But like, yeah, I'm, well, I'm all, I'm all, I'm actually only thirty two. Holy, uh, wait, hold on. So, damn. So that means that you wait. When did you like qualify as a neuroscientist? Like when you were twenty two or twenty three or? Well, I mean, you know, I don't like to describe myself as a neuroscientist because I the way I look at uh uh you know the way I describe a neuroscientist in a professional. A clinical sense is someone who has a PhD. So I don't have a PhD. Ah, okay. Fine. I studied and taught neuroscience. And just to clarify that, I don't have a PhD. I taught the neuroscience 101, a section of neuroscience 101 for two years uh, at Brown and, uh, and studied it. I actually have a roommate, <clears throat> one of my best friends from college. He and I were both on the same path to become neuroscientists, essentially. Um, he, just to give you a sense for uh, what, what he did, so he's one of the leading neurologists at the Mayo Clinic in uh, Minnesota right now. Brilliant man. Absolutely brilliant. So he's someone who went to the nth degree, took, took things all the way. After uh, university, I decided to hit the pause button on that path because I didn't want to, and I'm, I'm a, I've published research, I've published medical research with my name on it. It's uh, neonatal research on brain development in premature infants which is actually ironic because my son, my second son was just born six weeks premature. He thankfully didn't have any neurological issues, but it's, that was actually the, the direction that I was pursuing from a research perspective. Um, but I started going down this path where I was really fascinated by the human brain and the way uh, the brain operates, more so in a more practical sense. Neuroscience is all about studying a single sub-channel uh, particle in a brain and spending the next uh, 30 years studying that one single channel, you know, sub, sub channel particle. There may be 20 people on the planet that you can actually have an intelligent conversation about what it is that your, your research topic is. And for me, that just didn't appeal to me. I was more interested in the application of uh, neuroscience and psychology. And that's the reason why I, I, I uh, decided to give uh, Working on Wall Street a try, because I was really fascinated with investor psychology and the neuroscience behind uh, why people make different investment decisions and the boom and bust of markets and the fear and greed uh, uh, sort of dynamic. And, you know, that was kind of my, my thing. As I said, I'm going to work on Wall Street, make a bunch of money, and then maybe I'll go back to, um, you know, pursue my, my PhD. Um, and uh, decide not to do that. Um, I, I joke, I'm the least educated, I'm, I think I'm the least educated person in my company and uh, in my immediate family. My wife has her PhD, um, my, my assistant has an MBA, um, <laughs> so uh, I'm like the least educated person, um, but I've also changed my tune, you know, more than 10 years out of, uh, out of university now, that, uh, you know, I used to be a big believer in formal education, and I'm uh, much less so now. I think some of the smartest people that I know and that I work with are people that don't have, you know, name brand formal educations. These are people who are self-learners. They're intensely curious. And I think that more than anything is far more important than, with a few exceptions, I want my doctor to go to medical school, but with <laughs> yeah. a few exceptions, uh, than, in, than a degree on the wall. Yeah. And I think most people in our little entrepreneurial world that we 
operate in sort of tend to agree with that paradigm. Definitely. You're the guy that founded Rocket Memory, aren't you? Yes. Oh my God, that's where I remember you from. Sorry. Side note, my <laughs> mind just went there. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to look up this neonatal research thing uh, that, you know, like neonatal research, Ryan Le Levesque, and it's like Rocket Memory. I was like, holy crap, I remember this guy. Because when I was doing, um, I'm a huge curious widow that likes looking at the brain matters and seeing how I can manipulate it to get the best results. Um, do you remember the movie Limitless? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, everyone. There was a huge craze of all those like uh, over-the-counter drugs, like um, that basically helped you with your brain function. Right, right, right. I, nootropics and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I went through yeah. the whole nootropic phase. It didn't actually affect me all that well. It. it I the, think I remember you like posting about it on Facebook, actually. Uh, yeah, I did a little bit. It was because uh, Ori Bengal was going on about it as well, and he tagged me yeah. in a few. So me and him having this huge conversation about it, but. Um, I went back to it recently, but with a whole different kind of brain chemistry. And rocket memory is one of the things I was looking at was how does the mind work? Like, how do you make it me remember things? Right, right. And because memory is a huge thing. Because, like, one of the things I actually do know, like, a huge proponent of self-study. Like, I just love studying myself and other people and environment around me and stuff. So sure. one of the things I actually did was I started looking at... Uh, how how well my memory is and my mom because like as a memories can be manipulated throughout childhood and adulthood like you'll remember some stuff forget some stuff and then some stuff you just make up and think was real so i'd, I'd quiz my parents on certain things just see if i remember and it turns out my memory I actually remember the earliest memory i have is at seven months old wow. it's recorded and i actually remember every stage of that memory and my mom wow. goes that you were just a baby. How could you barely remember? I was like, I don't know. Sounds, visions, all that literally just comes together for me as an adult. But after the whole nootropic thing, I was like, okay, I've got to look at the eidetic memory. How does that work? Is it selective? Is it not selective? Is it an overall thing? And funnily enough, something you might find interesting, the mind can actually be selectively eidetic in certain things. Like um, you can remember every quote saying, blah, blah, by a certain person that you're infatuated or uh, not so infatuation, not in the sense of a relationship, but as in studying. Like, for instance, you can, like, reel off every parable Gary Halbert did because you're infatuated with his work. Right. That is, in some essences, class as an eidetic memory. Hmm. Interesting. It, it's very, very strange than that. And um, so I was looking at, like, ways to improve that side of my brain so I can actually um, centralize my mind because I'm very right, I'm very creative-brained. Mm -hmm. which always leads to huge amounts of, um, well, I like writing, but it leads to a lot of, like, uh, deadlines to, like, last minute. <laughs> right. right. So the, the creative process, as my friends like to say. Um, but I learned how to, like, channel it out so I'd get all my work done ahead of time so I wouldn't have that whole last-minute crisis of what Robert Greene's calls death ground. Right. But right. It's, it's pretty cool. But um, I think we've only got you for a couple of more minutes. So, um yeah, I mean, Brian, thank you for being here, man. I hope people listening to this take away a few things. I know that we've gone on lots of random different uh, junctures throughout this conversation, but there is a lot of stuff that's been embedded here. So if you listen back to it, I'm sure you'll pick up at least three things. And if you haven't already, send me a message. I'll probably end up writing a blog post telling you what the three things are that you should look out for. Listen, man, Adel, this was a lot of fun. I'll tell you why. I do a lot of interviews, and most interviews follow sort of uh, expected interview format. Tell us how you got started. What do you do now? Give us a little bit of insight into your secret sauce and how can we learn more about you? That's like basic interview structure 101. Mm -hmm. This was you and I, let's grab a coffee, let's hang out, and let's chat and let's put the recorder on. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, I love listening to those conversations. I love having just interesting conversations with small groups of people and just uh, you know, learning. And, and I do this all the time. I had a lunch the other day with Noah Kagan, founder of AppSumo, and I think a lot of people would be you know, familiar with Noah. That's how Noah and I, every time we get together, because he's in Austin, we're, we're, we're buddies, every time we get together, there's no catch-up. It's just dive right into whatever it is that we're doing, because like you, uh, uh, you know, he's uh, you know, voracious about this stuff. He's just a student of marketing. And for me, I love being a fly on the wall on those conversations. So I hope that people listening to this uh, get as much out of it, enjoy it as much, and have as much fun with it as I know I did um, having the opportunity to, to chat with you, my man. So Definitely. I just want to say thanks again for, uh, for the opportunity to, to talk. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, so we should do it again sometime soon. Oh, definitely, man. It would be awesome to have you back on. We can actually now, I uh, think on the next thing, we can actually explore, like, the brain science stuff. I think that would be quite interesting to do. Oh, and totally. just, like, 
and then like manipulate that entire thing into how copywriting and how people listening to this stuff can go and buy more of our stuff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but just to, you actually reminded me of something. There is um, just sidetracking. I don't like to do offers like halfway through, so it isn't really an offer. But um, it's funny that you brought up the coat of arms letter for Gary Halbert because uh-huh. um, I actually have a product called the Copy Lab, which is basically a breakdown. Every single month, I, I find a seven figure sales letter and I do a video behind the psychology behind it and how it all works and stuff. And it's funny because the coat of arms letter was. Um, those I missed a month because my servers got hacked, so everything's back online now. But when they got hacked, I had to do like a makeup month, you know, to make my customers feel happy. Because um, I like to do stuff like that, you know. Sure. If, if if I miss a month of stuff, I'm not going to go and be like, oh, you missed a month and you paid fifty bucks for it, so blah. You just right. get this one thing. I like to like over deliver because people love you for that, especially if you yeah. over deliver good stuff. So I broke down the Halbert letter just ever so slightly. I was like, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. If you want to do that, you can refer to Bond and Kevin because they do a great job. Right. But this one in particular, this is some of the stuff that you see that might be missed because everyone has a different perspective and it's always down to it. But like Gary's stuff was absolutely brilliant. But um, guys, again, if you want to check out Ryan's stuff, which I heavily, when I say heavily recommend it, I mean. It gets in my top five of recommendations. And the only reason wow. it's not in like the top two is because the top two are saved for me. Uh, it's, I recommend myself like crazy. I'm a self-promoter. I can't help it. Um, <laughs> but seriously, saying that, um, Ryan is like one of the top guys out there. So check out the thefunnelspecialist.com.net.org. Uh, uh, you own all of them, so it doesn't really matter. Just Google him. You'll find him. And seriously, comment, like, share his posts and stuff because the guy literally gives out so much value. It's incredible. And as always, uh, the show is sponsored by um, the uh, purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel. Now, I know there is one thing that we did not do on this um, on this interview, and that is get three tips off of you. But I think that actually we actually covered those throughout, so I'll just recap them. Three tips if you want to change your life uh, as become a lifestyle hero is one, Study great advertising. Two, write it out by hand. And three, listen to Ryan. That's 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 my three <laughs> things that I tell you right now. Because usually we get um, people to do these at the end. But Ryan, anything else you want to say before we uh, finish off the recording? No, I think I would say uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, you know, I would just say thanks again for having me, my man. And uh, like I said before, I'd love to do this again, and we can do a follow-up conversation in a couple months and and pick up where we left off. Definitely, my friend. Definitely. All right, guys, take care, and this has been another episode. Speak to you soon.